Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. There were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, And on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise a new piece would pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. The word of the Lord. Well, this morning we have a gift. Uh, We have a guest speaker with us. His name is Rick Strangway. Rick, why don't you come on up here? Rick is uh, a professor at Ambrose. He's the associate professor of pastoral theology. He told me, read all of his titles deeply and clearly, or the opposite, one of the two. Uh, But one of Rick's primary responsibilities at Ambrose is running field education in the internship program, which means we have him to thank for Ben. And so let's thank him for Ben, first of all. Prior to his appointment at Ambrose, he served in the Alliance uh, for 30 years here in Canada, including five years at Muir Lake, just up the road from us. He also happens to be married to a Jesperson, so maybe half of you are related to him in some way. And uh, he's he's married to Karen. They have three adult children, one of whom is married, and and Rick just told me one is on the way. Or was I not supposed to spread that news yet? No, that's good. Okay, good. Uh, And we're just blessed to have Rick with us, so would you welcome Rick as he comes to preach? Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Well, it's really a great uh, privilege to be with you here in your uh, beautiful auditorium. And uh, I bring greetings from Ambrose, the community, President Gordon Smith. And uh, we are grateful for uh, churches just like Stony Plain Alliance that uh, have been longtime partners uh, with the schools and what we're doing and what we seek to accomplish with you and supporting you in the kingdom of God. Uh, I'm grateful to be here for uh, a couple of reasons, both because I think you may have the very best intern we have in Bennett Mueller. Uh, We're grateful for him, and I love his heart, and I love who 
who uh, God, uh, how God is working in his life, and uh, I have a lot of admiration for him. And, and one of the key things we look for again and again and again when we look to make a placement uh, with a student as they're in this formation of uh, future ministry in the kingdom is uh, what kind of not only mentor will they have, but what kind of church culture community will they land in? As you probably know as, good, as well as I do, so many churches are under uh, different kind of places, uh, uh, and uh, sometimes they're in places of unhealth, other times in places of health. So knowing the rich, strong history that's here and uh, the kind of opportunity to, to have a student uh, in, in this church and in this community is a, is a real blessing to us, and it, it gives me encouragement even as I'm praying for you and for Matt and for, for Bennett through, through his internship. Another couple uh, reasons that come to mind as I sit and stand and join in worship this morning that I'm grateful to be here is, uh, is this. I, I came to Edmonton. Uh, my dad was a pastor, uh, mostly with the Christian Missionary Alliance, but for a few years with the Baptists in South Edmonton. And I came in the late 70s at the same time Wayne Gretzky showed up. And so I've always been a lifelong Eskimo or Elks, uh, pardon me, uh, or uh, Euler fan. And uh, love that. And then we pastored here. We lived in Stony Plain in the late 90s and pastored at Muir Lake uh, Alliance Church. Uh, and 12 years ago, as our circle kind of came around, we landed in Calgary. And I have to admit, never ever have I enjoyed any sports team that has red in their uniform. And so for years, I was just waiting, anticipating, uh, and, and hoping that you know, the Oilers would come back to the glory days um, And while I was there and could push back against peers, neighbors, friends, and so on. And finally, it's arrived. So uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for this year in the sports world. Um, but secondly, or, or maybe it's the third reason I'm glad to be here uh, today, is as I uh, sit and worship, stand and worship and sing with you, I'm just reflective of a couple of things. There are people in churches like this who understand the long uh, hand of God and the grace of God over the years. And and as I sit here, I can feel the emotion in my heart, but there's three people that I'm aware of that prayed for me and have prayed for me lots in my life and my wife and my children. Uh, and I'll just mention a couple of first names, Mary Ellen and Anne and my mother-in-law, Gail, uh, who are all here today. And that's just, it just touches me to know that there's people who, who pray and their influence in the work of the kingdom of God somehow mysteriously not only affects me in the moment, but continues to kind of guide me as God works in my life and leads me forward. So, Stony Plain, thank you, uh, not only for the invitation to be here, but thank you for who you are and the kind of community that you seek to be as you're led by Christ and following the way of Jesus Christ. We're looking at, as we continue to, I believe, a series here in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we want to jump into the second pa uh, chapter, uh, verse 13, where really we hear the second time in the Gospel a very simple invitation to come and follow me from the words of Jesus. The character or the people that are there, Jesus has gone out to the lake, uh, lakeside, likely the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of what we would know as Israel or, or first century Palestine. And there in the northern regions, you might sense a, a type of blue-collar people, a, a people who are just uh, seeking and waiting for the return uh, of God to redeem the nation of Israel and put them in the 
kind of place of order and God's presence would be fully manifested in the temple in Jerusalem and so on. But in this village kind of area around the, the lake and community, Jesus began his ministry. And Mark, as you probably know or might remember, or I'll try to jog your memory, Mark would tell us right from the get-go that this is going to be a fast-moving, action-orientated piece of gospel. The good news that would be declared through Jesus' life, teaching, death, and then uh, resurrection. And so that sense, that anticipation that was there is kind of moving, but there's this invitation to come and follow me to Levi, a tax collector. You likely know, but I'll jog your memory a little bit. Tax collectors were Jewish, uh, so in one, on the one hand, they were uh, part of the people, they were, would know the people in the community, but they would collect taxes for a number of different people, but mostly the Romans who uh, had control for the most part over the, the nation or the, the land and what was happening there. So you can imagine they were taking a little bit like someone from Ottawa coming by and, and setting up camp, except there wasn't someone from Ottawa. It was one of our own here from the county uh, setting up camp and rep- representing Pierre Elliott or, or Justin Trudeau or whatever the Trudeau is in power and, uh, and gathering taxes and that inner sense of tension, feeling like this isn't right. So this is Levi, and it's Jesus who comes along that day and uh, invites him to come and follow. So on the one hand... We're going to take a transition. Okay, I'll can I let you do that. I'll just get out of here for a moment. That's all right. Beauty of doing things in real time. Testing one, two. Testing one, two. Testing one, two. Pardon me. So you can imagine Levi being invited by Jesus. And on the one hand, the invitation is really an invitation to, to Levi. But as we read the gospel, as we listen to the gospel this morning, we recognize that the invitation is to each of us to come and follow Jesus. To come and allow the Jesus way to shape and form not only who we are on the outside, our pattern, where we go, what we do uh, with our time, how we use our checkbook, but to also shape even more importantly as we move with Jesus towards the cross, to shape the inner life of who we are. That there would literally be a transformative piece of Christ's life affecting me or affecting you as we seek to follow and learn that very way. This is the invitation that Levi kind of an outsider in his community would have, uh, would have received and, and, uh, and what would have kind of unfolded as he was invited uh, along. To get a, a better sense of the context, I want to highlight one or two things in chapter one this morning. We'll keep working at this. I can use a handheld mic.
12 and 2 in the morning. Um, Levi uh, is invited along, and uh, as, as you can imagine, the, the invitation is uh, to come in and follow Jesus and, and come to know him. I just, indic- I just started pointing us to uh, chapter 1, because there's a couple of pieces in chapter 1 that I want us to pay attention to, or at least recall. What Mark does in his gospel, different than Matthew and different than Luke, is he doesn't have the, the early kind of narrative of Jesus coming into this world and all the anticipation of that. He doesn't have the creative uh, work of chapter 1 of the gospel of John that, gives, that speaks about this divine logos and all the imagery of life and light and love and becoming children of God. Mark jumps right into it. But in Mark chapter 1, Verse 10, I believe it is, at the place where Jesus begins kind of his earthly ministry with the baptism of the Spirit upon him and the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved, there is a moment, there is a phrase that happens only twice in the New Testament and both times are in the Gospel of Mark. And the phrase is this, it's a Greek word, but we won't say that word, but we'll just mem- uh, emphasize the, the English. And, and the phrase is this, that the heavens are literally torn open. It's an odd word because it's not like a smoothly kind of parting and you can see the light shining through and a gentle picturesque. Someone takes a, a wonderful picture and then posts it on social media or whatever. It's not that kind of feeling at all, but it's a tearing. It's literally a violent action. Now keep that in mind, that somehow the heavens are being opened as Christ now begins his ministry and is being baptized. And then a moment or two later, we see in verse 1, uh, pardon me, verse 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 1, these words come out of Jesus' mouth, proclaiming the kingdom of God or that the kingdom has come, come near. Somehow with the action of God the Father, now upon Christ through the Spirit, that God here on earth in the presence of Jesus Christ is doing something very dramatic and profound that the gospel writer Mark wants us to see, understand, and cue into. So while the invitation to come and follow is both to Levi and to you and me, the invitation it's really such a serious invitation that it's, in a sense, asking us to recognize that God is doing something dramatic that's going to turn, in a sense, the world as we know it upside down, and you personally are being invited into that. Now, it's not something that I just simply vote about or agree with or post on again on some kind of piece of social media, but the truth is it's something that's going to involve me at the deepest level, a formational piece if I'm going to follow in after Jesus Christ. And so whether I'm 17 or new into the faith for a few months or whether I'm 77, the choice is still there before me as a follower of Jesus Christ and my entering in to the divine action of God. Let me add another little background piece. I'll walk over here just for dramatic effect so you kind of get a sense that we're doing a bit of a preface here. The anticipation always has been through the Old Testament scriptures, sometimes referred to as the, as the Hebrew scriptures, the anticipation has always been that God would come back and do something dramatic. 
and the imagery that would have been there all the way back from Genesis chapter 1, which is less about a scientific kind of unfolding of a literal seven-day creation and more about a Hebrew kind of a picture of God dwelling, almost like a temple imagery of God dwelling in the midst of his people and there be life and human flourishing. When God is in the midst and the people are kind of posturing themselves in faith and hope and trust, there's an open, uh, there's an openness and authenticity uh, between uh, uh, humanity and each other and with creation and most importantly with God himself, the creator. That kind of picture that is there in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 also is anticipated in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And the hope is that God would be fully in the midst of his people and through his people they would usher in the glory and the wonder of what it means to have life in God himself. So with things going awry in the Old Testament, with things not going well, and we could even say sometimes within our own hearts things not going the way they ought to be going. But with things going uh, poorly in the Old Testament, the hope and the longing as the nation of Israel was kind of set aside in, in what is referred to as exile is that God would come back. And in fact, amazingly enough, there's this Greek translation, which is the same language that was used for the New Testament, called the Septuagint. In the Septuagint, that same word in Mark chapter 1, verse 10, that uh, tearing of the heavens was referred to by one of the prophets, Isaiah 64, verse 1, where he would cry out on behalf of the people, Oh God, may you rend. That's such an old King James Version as I would have grown up with. That's such a King James Version kind of a word. Oh God, may you, how are we doing? Are you just... Is the curtain coming down? Are we done? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Headsets. So. Thanks, everyone, for your kindness this morning with our technological issues. Laney, we're on handheld four for live stream. There we go. Um, in Isaiah 64, verse 1, that the sense was that uh, there was a longing, a calling out for God to return. And so that was the hope that uh, the Israelites in the first century, in all of the Gospels, but particularly Mark, picks this up and wants us to realize and to understand. So, going back to the invitation. The invitation to come and follow Jesus. It's an invitation that would change our heart, and one might say it would change our heart uh, uh, quite simply. Uh, it would call us to kind of reorientate our lives, because what we orientate ourselves, or what we seek to pursue, as James K.A. Smith would say, with our lives, is what we become. For example, if I give my time to video games late into the evening and so on, I probably became, become someone who's quite good and quite aware of all sorts of video game type things. If I'm someone who likes sports or whatever it would be, and I watch sports and follow sports and go and have season tickets to some sporting event, and I follow on social media and get all these notifications, likely quite often through the course of a day I'm tracking, or, and I won't mention anyone in my marriage, but if I'm someone who likes Hallmark movies at this time of the year, and I watch Hallmark movies, and I seem to know that really the plot line is kind of the same in every Hallmark movie uh, at Christmas, but I won't mention that part. 
that likely I'm going to have kind of a pondering, a reflection quite often upon the events and the Christmas uh, Advent kind of feelings that come with a Hallmark movie. What we follow, what we pursue, what we go after is what we become. And so the question and the invitation of Jesus to Levi is an important question. As we trickle our way through the, through the text, and we'll do that uh, a, a little bit kind of quickly here, there's a couple of things we want to notice and observe. We see that in a moment after the invitation, there's all of a sudden this scene at the table that, that is happening. And there at the table, as they're sitting, uh, there's many tax collectors and sinners. Now, it's a phrase that shows up in the Gospels quite often. That idea of kind of tax collectors and sinners, they were a little bit like the people of disrepute. The people that you and I might pray for, we might acknowledge in a, in a prayer on a Sunday morning, but the truth is we don't typically hang out with them, invite them into our home, or sit down at a table with them. We find ourselves again and again often uh, keeping a little bit at arm's length, though as Christ, proper Christians we might pray and care a little bit uh, from a distance for them. But these were the very people that Jesus was sitting with, with and the religious people today who are watching and seeing what was happening were noticing that this is what Jesus did. And then Jesus drops this line from, from the gospel right into uh, the, the conversation after being questioned for, by the religious people. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinners. Well, the truth is, lest I get too kind of quick to judgment, uh, kind of be judgmental upon those Pharisees and religious leaders, the truth is that I still am somebody, and likely you still are someone, uh, is who's still in the process of moving from brokenness to wholeness or sinning to righteousness. And the fact is that Jesus is ultimately continuing to invite us to the table to the place of formation where we sit and see the Savior, the one who has come in dramatic fa uh, action by God to come and be here in our midst. Well, as we kind of move a little bit further into the, into the conversation, there's this little bit of a dialogue in verses 18 uh, with kind of the uh, Pharisees as well, questioning why the disciples of Jesus aren't fasting. Those who would fast in the first century would usually fast maybe for reasons similar to us, if we'd consider that as a practice in our own spiritual journey. They'd fast likely because they're in a place of kind of brokenness and pain and hurt, and they were just crying out for God, or they were in a place of loss in their life, or they were petitioning God for something they, they sensed or desired or calling God back to act. Jesus responds to those who are questioning the lack of fasting amongst the disciples. And he lets those who are listening know that you don't need to fast when the bridegroom is there in the midst of the people, meaning Jesus is there, and this dramatic action is now finding itself in Jesus. And then he gives two sayings, we might say. Two kind of little pieces of kind of information in verse 21 and 22. And he goes on to say, say it this way. No one sews a patch of shrunken cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear even worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they will pour new wine into new wineskins. 
The emphasis by the time of this dialogue is kind of being finished is simply this, that what God is doing will require something dramatic that will be almost what will be needed will be an inner transformation of life so that it can contain, hold on to that which God is giving. So what Jesus is suggesting is those who are listening to him that day, and what Mark wants us to understand as we listen this morning is simply this. I don't just follow after Jesus to become like the people around me who are following after Jesus. I don't just try to take on certain actions or modifications in my life. What I truly need is a deep inner transformation of my heart so that I can contain the life of God. I learned so much from my life and even though I, um, from my wife, even though I, I, I like to tease her publicly about Hallmark movies. But in the last couple of years, I've watched my wife spend an immense amount of time as our children have grown up and gone through school for the most part and now have kind of moved on into their own careers and we have a little bit of extra time. As I watch her, she spends five days a week roughly 45 minutes to an hour alone with God. She began this kind of spiritual practice with a spiritual director in her life uh, about a year and a half ago or so. And as she kind of began that, her first kind of thought was, how can I ever do this? I'm being asked to spend time with God with kind of scriptures open and my heart kind of quiet before him and just listening to God. As I watch her do that, I I, I kind of observe kind of the pattern and the formation that kind of begins to happen is that out of that time of quiet, that time of place, that time of sitting before the Savior and sitting and learning from Him, there's this deep inner work that's beginning to happen. Places of healing and places of hope. Prayers of longing that are being presented to God about our children, about, about other areas of uh, desire that uh, she or we share together in our life. But it's that inner work of God that needs to happen. Because it's in that inner work of God that I'm able to contain, as we might say, as you might say, I'm able to contain the goodness and the life of God uh, that he wants to pour out into my life so that my character, my actions, and who I am are beginning to reflect that which has been happening on the inside. But I want to drive us a little bit closer to the picture or the image that's kind of in the middle of this passage of Mark chapter 2 verses 13 to 22. And this inner work needs to happen first, kind of a reordering of the heart. But as it happens, it begins to affect particularly as one who would follow Jesus, a new kind of a family or a new kind of a community that's being formed around a table. Now, I recognize maybe this is a, not the best kind of way to talk about it during a COVID kind of pandemic uh, reality. It's so often hard to kind of create these kind of spaces and places around tables. But different than having a conversation on the street with someone or in, in maybe in a mall or having a, uh, in the lobby of a, of a church on a Sunday after the service kind of type of a conversation, when we sit at a table, something is unique. There's almost a 
a casual feel. There's a, a sharing of life. There could be laughter at times. And, and if there's a sense of trust and authenticity, there could be a true, genuine brokenness that's shared. Maybe in a spiritual conversation with a couple of families who love Jesus, there could be a prayer at the end or at the beginning that re reflects the conversation that's been having. Sitting at the table is kind of an invitation into one's personal life as I would gather there and come to know them and be kind of be present to them. So the image of the table is a profound image, not just in the first century, but for you and I today. Because in effect, though the method or the procedure or the practice of participating in the Eucharist is slightly different on a Sunday like this, the truth is you and I fundamentally are continually being invited, and as a community, Stony Plain Alliance Church, we're continually being invited to the table so that we'd be shaped and formed from the inner parts of our being by the love and the grace of God, a kind of welcome that's constantly extended by the living God to each one of us again and again and again, and an expression of his divine embrace as we come to the table. As Gordon Smith, the president of Ambrose University, likes to say, it's something that's not just that I remember and think about every once in, about, uh, once in a while, but the truth is when I come to the table, and it's the habit of formation of the community, I come to the table in real time, which means I come to the table. Sometimes on a Sunday morning gathering thinking, I'm kind of grumpy today. I'm a little ticked off. Last Saturday was exciting watching Connor uh, score, score that goal, but uh, not so good. They should have beat those other guys from the East Coast. So I'm kind of grumpy. Or I've kind of said some things. Maybe I said some things on the way to, to the gathering on Sunday morning to kids that somehow it's not really the best way to kind of uh, articulate uh, my love and care for them, and it actually was hurtful, and I'm not so proud of it. But I kind of, the truth is, I come in real time to the table, and the Savior, Jesus Christ himself, welcomes you and me to come and receive. Again, it's not a judgment. It's an invitation to come and follow and be with him and recognize his divine embrace. But amazingly enough, this same action that I get from the Father himself through Jesus Christ's Son in the presence of the Spirit is the same action now that I'm propelled as the deep work of the Spirit is activated in my heart, that I'm propelled or compelled is maybe a better word, as I go into the world to invite others in the same type of a posture to welcome and love them at the table, to receive them, to know them. And so as a follower of Jesus Christ, as I learned the way of Jesus Christ, I'm constantly reflecting on language like this. I learn how to sit with, listen to, carry one another's burdens, walk with, pray for people. These are the kind of competencies or languages that you use when you sit at the table with others who are like and unlike you. I sit with people who have different backgrounds and people who maybe drink too much or drink too little. I sit with people who have different views on politics or vaccinations or whatever it is, and I'm with them because fundamentally what's shaping my life and my inner being is this life of God himself in me. I don't posture myself like I would in the world. I posture myself as someone that the divine action is breaking through in me. And now I look, act differently. One quick vignette. And then I'll wrap things up. 
The New Testament writers, people like Peter and Paul and John, would talk about uh, uh, what needs to happen in various churches across the Mediterranean world. So as the good news of Jesus Christ was taking effect, it was kind of leaking northward across the Mediterranean into small little places or cities, and there'd be this collection of churches, most often house churches. Oftentimes it would be gatherings of anywhere from 8 to 15. Maybe if someone had a larger kind of room, you could get a group that was as much as 20 or 22 people. There's this one house church kind of in the region of what we know as Turkey in a place likely it was known as Colossae. And Paul wrote a letter to the householder, kind of the head of the householder. His name was Philemon. It's a short little letter. At times, we often kind of page by it. We don't often quote it because it's just a quick narrative of a letter to receive to the householder, the head of the household, the master, Philemon, to receive his runaway slave back. Well, here's the quick backstory: Onesimus had run away. He was the slave. And in Roman culture, when a runaway slave would, would, would take off from the master, the master had every right to do whatever, and I mean whatever they wanted to. They weren't a citizen, the slave. They were someone who was looked down upon. They were someone who was not valued. But this slave, Onesimus, had run away and had spent time somehow across paths with Paul. And in his time with Paul, he became a follower of Jesus. Paul refers early in the first few uh, verses of the letter as Onesimus, his brother in Christ. Well, as Paul would write then to the head of the household, Philemon, and he would ask him to kind of uh, telling him a bit of the backstory, what happened to Onesimus, he comes back, and again, I'll add one more, one more little component. Most often when these letters were received by the early churches, the letter carrier would come into the gathering, again, think of a small gathering in a household, and they would read the letter to that community of faith on behalf of the apostle or whoever it was that wrote the letter. And they would receive it as a community. And so this letter, we can assume, was likely received as a community, though it was kind of addressed to the head of the household, Philemon, who was very possibly had every right to do whatever he wanted with his slaves, even runaway slaves. So you can imagine, in some kind of a darkened room, that there would be a gathering in a household, people of all different kind of places and different kinds of faces that would be there. There might even be a, a word or two as a letter from Paul the Apostle had kind of arrived that uh, a few of the kind of household slaves or maybe those working in the vineyards were also quickly invited and you could see them kind of poking in from the back around the curtain, kind of wanting to listen in what was going to be said because not only was there the letter, but Onesimus was back in the house. What well, was going to happen? It wasn't going to be pretty if Philemon got his hands on him. And as the letter is written, Paul tells the backstory about Onesimus coming and becoming a follower of Christ. And then Paul says, you have every right to do whatever you want, but I want you to welcome him as you would welcome me. Now, it's an easy letter to walk kind of through and just skim by and kind of miss the significance. But what was happening is the gospel, the good news, or the way of Jesus was impacting a small little community of followers of Jesus Christ was it was turning with great difficulty the economic, social dynamics of what that community was now going to be about. They were going to be about a 
welcome and love. They are going to be sisters and brothers in Christ that fundamentally what would join our hearts together would not be this idea that we're Christians or we vote in a certain way or we have a beautiful building and we attend this, this church in this specific location, that fundamentally this work of God, this divine action of God now in Jesus Christ through the Spirit would orientate you and me together so that we become a people of welcome and love. So a simple question. Where does this leave us this morning on November the 14th, 2021? It's really easy for us to go out and grab lunch at Swiss Chalet or wherever and just kind of move on to the various things that are before us in the week ahead. But where does this leave us? Because I can't quite participate in the Eucharist, the bread and the cup, the reminder that in real time Christ is receiving me if I don't willingly engage in that reception of God's grace towards me and then say, God, who is it today, tomorrow, this week, that I need to open up myself, sit with, listen to, carry their burdens, and welcome them in to the journey of following after Jesus Christ? Who is it that I need to express love, kindness, and grace and extend my heart, my time, my energy, my finances towards them? How will I reorientate my life as I'm learning how to reorientate my heart in a way that impacts those around me? I'm not just someone who says I'm a Christian, but I'm someone who follows in the way of Jesus. And that work is a transformative way that teaches me how to live differently. So that that grand story that we're all living in, that story of God's grace that was first pictured in the Garden of Eden, a place of love and beauty and human flourishing, is something that I continue am learning to move towards in the end of the story. Where there's no son, as the writer of Revelation will say, but the Son of God is there, God himself dwelling amongst his people. And a river is flowing and there's life that is flowing. I'm in the midst of this now in Jesus Christ with you, learning the way of Jesus. So where does this leave us? It just simply leaves us in the place of asking ourselves, how am I supposed to respond? Let me pray. Father, we thank you that even as we listen or reflect upon your word for a moment this Sunday morning together, we thank you so much that we can do that, knowing that we are in a community of faith that's loving and caring, that shapes us and forms us. But we pray through your spirit that you would break down the walls of our hearts, the things that hold us back, that you would heal our wounds, so that we could go deeper into your love and grace. That we would go deeper in ways where we need it so that we can then in turn move outward and flourish and posture and live in a way that reflects your divine goodness and glory and grace in this world. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.